0: when I hit a set of, wait, is this right for me? Is this really where I want to go? Can I handle this? Um, And said, nope, that's it. I love theater and music. We're doing theater and music. You don't have to go to Yale to get your hands on these experiences. Um, And I think we side-eye the big name schools both appropriately and sometimes malignantly. But we have to challenge our institutions and we have to ask who who else is doing it right. What makes a Nicola is that Nicola never says no. (laughs) Nicola says, I need three (laughs) tanks, a road, and a way to get there. Um, You can choose how you solve that. Uh, I don't really care if you have a crown on your head or the title of president, or whatever, Um, it's it's yes and, yes if, but sometimes these are big insane asks, and I have decided that you have asked me to do the insane and the
1: hard. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. My name is Kat Landry, and today we are joined by Nicola Rossini. Presently, a senior technical program manager and digital producer with AOA's Creative Technology Group, Nicola uses both technical innovation and creative development to build integrated toolkits for creating moments of awe and thrill all over the world. As co founder of Harriet B.'s Descendants, she works to build supportive networks among LBE practitioners worldwide, connecting humans in production and design. They also teach workshops on human centered management, which asks the question, how much better are the experiences we create if all team members are fully supported? Nicola, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Nicola, you have had a very successful career spanning multiple corners of the industry. Um, I was hoping to start, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey before we kind of take a deep dive into some of those experiences.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh- So to start, um, I don't, I never checked the box. Wherever I was, there was always a box I was trying to fit and I never quite checked it, but I worked uh, to try and find a way through it. And as so many of us find, um, I would find my own way into doing things, but that doesn't mean that it's the one way. Um, So this is a very winding path. Some of us have those. Uh, I, I would say the most formative things that kind of come up into all of this is that I was, um, born into multiple families of varying cultures. So that duality and that nature of, wait a minute, these two groups are saying the same thing, but mean different things or are saying the same thing or are saying the same thing and mean different things or are saying different things and mean the same thing, um, are a very common thing for me. I was very lucky uh, that I tested into a knot of extra education enrichment programs. So I was actually on the path towards public policy and economics uh, when I hit a set of, wait, is this right for me? Is this really where I want to go? Can I handle this? Um, And said, nope, that's it. I love theater and music. We're doing theater and music. I don't think that's an unfamiliar tale uh, for, you know, we, we start in one way, we try to make sense of things. And the beauty of theater is that like the source of theater is trying to make sense of the macrocosm of the world through a microcosm of story. Um, And that's very great for us to form around our life, right? No, nowhere else for those of us who discover whether it's early or late in life that we are neurodivergent, No one else is going to sit you down for three years and talk about text and subtext and how to talk to people um, quite as directly as theater will. Uh, So I was very lucky that I had this other thing. Um, I decided to follow that. So I am at my core a stage manager, as I think so many of us here at Theater Art Life are, uh, (laughs) because it's a toolkit, right? Um, I loved being a singer and a dancer. I was never going to be a professional singer or a dancer. Um, I was never going to stay in the town. My hometown is the world capital of almond milk and wine and olive oil <laughs> and fantastic, wonderful things. And I was never going to do any of those things. Um, and I didn't want to teach the things I loved there either. Uh So the beauty of theater is that it was a way to stay with that love of international policy and cultures through storytelling. Um, Stage management just meaning, hey, somebody's got to figure out how to put this thing together. I'm very curious and like puzzles. Let's follow that. Um, So I started undergrad at Chico State. Um, I am a big proponent of the uh, junior college and state school system because I, and even, even that fantastic undergrad program is much more expensive now. But when I was there, it was $600 a semester and you can afford a hundred dollars a month in rent and $600 a semester while doing jobs like administrative assistant and stage hand and learning your technique and doing other things. Um, and that is a gift that, uh, Now that I'm talking about it in my life as a professor of access and equity and how do we get into that, um, it was a thing I had to conceive of. Um, It was a very obvious choice for me. There have been points in my career when I thought, gosh, I was in the middle of, we was three hours north of Sacramento. There was very little there. But the upside of there being very little there is we were the only stagehands between Sacramento and Redding or Oregon. So we touched everything. And uh, as many production managers and stage managers are, we're low jacked for responsibility. We're the ones who say this has to be taken care of. I'll take care of it. And people are happy and they will always be happy to both good and detriment to give us as much as we can handle or maybe even a little more. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was I went through school. Um, I quit school for a period of time. Uh, I'm going to give a couple of shout outs to some phenomenal um, junior college level associate degree training programs, one of which no longer exists as of this year. Um, SRJC, Santa Rosa, SRT, Summer Repertory Theater, used to do a six-show six, season, six show, uh, rotational rep season in three theaters, 200 people. And when you jumped in on that as a stage manager, you were part of a full rep. Uh, you had two shows, but you were also supporting of a team. Um... And you got paid. Uh, it was not fantastic pay, but it covered food. They covered your housing. Um, it was in a place that was relatively workable to get around. They helped you with transportation. And we don't we don't talk about what we're losing in those work programs and those are sadly going away with a lot of the budget cuts right now. Um, mm. we're hoping, we're hoping that SRT comes back. Um, but this will be the first season in almost 30 years that there won't be one. Oh, wow! Um, and I, and that at 19, somebody turned to me I, actually in my interview for one of those, I will give a shout out to Kay Poe who is a phenomenal playwright now in her own right. Um, and at the time she was the stage manager there and, Years later, we would work together when she was the company manager at Labyrinth in New York. Uh, She looked at me and she said, are you sure you don't want to just stage manage? And I said, no, I want to assist because I'm not always sure that I get to assist people. Um, Mm. So they, they gave me as much as my capacity could take. It was exciting and wonderful. And the next year I came back. Um, I was there for three summers and then got hired to PCPA, which is uh, at Ellen Hancock Junior College in Santa Maria, California. Again, it's a 10-show season rep. They have indoor and outdoor thrust stages and a black box. They have a two-year uh, Associate of Fine Arts degree program, both a technical theater and an acting conservatory. Um, it's a full IRTA or- company. And I go through all of these things to talk about. I have some big schools on my resume. My master's degree is from Yale. You don't have to go to Yale to get your hands on these experiences. Um, And I think we side-eye the big name schools, both appropriately and sometimes malignantly, but we have to challenge our institutions and we have to ask who who else is doing it right. And no one place or one mentor made me, um, just like no one place or one mentor could break me. Um, luckily, I've never had anyone who I felt like they were trying to do that, but I have absolutely been in systems that unknowingly were set up for that. Um and that's a thing that I don't think we talk about enough of in the, the early years of career, is that we tend to get very precious about how hard it is to do what we do. Um it's it's very hard. We put on our capes and our tiaras, we save the day. We know all, we can save all, but also we are exhausted. And maybe that's not the best way to do it, just because that's how we learned and we're able to. Um, Functionally, I will say at the end of the day, all of my work in all of my streams is solving puzzles, is being able to see a situation from multiple points of view um, and listening. And you can learn to handle the cognitive dis- dissonance of multiple points of view being correct and wildly disparate at the same time. Um, I ask this all the time of colleagues and students, how did you learn that? Functionally, that's what we do. How did you learn that? And a lot of people are still answering me, trauma and abusive situations in our industry. And I, we're starting to call that out. We're starting to see pushback on that. We're starting to see people say, you know what? I'm good. I have enough and I do not need to submit to this anymore. Um, But we haven't yet turned the point where when somebody makes that choice, we still make it personal about them. Mm. Um, And that's, that's a very big part of what is kind of my guiding light right now is I am a product and I was because of privilege because of where my intersections lie. uh, I was a recipient of a lot of those programs and teachings that doesn't mean it was right. Um, And there were people who were probably more talented and just as deserving, if not more, who didn't get that shot. And I actually grieve those colleagues that I didn't know. Um, The longer that I work out in the world, the more that I work with different people, um, the more I'm aware of how those systems kept us out and how when people jump onto, now I work with Disney, I work with Universal Studios, I carry a Yale degree, I guest lecture at Carnegie Mellon. All of these things are very shiny and very good. Uh, when I need to make my stake, I'm, for those who don't know, I'm coming to you from Tokyo. When I need to go in front of my visa board and say, I do know what I'm doing. I am authority. Um, I can be a useful lecturer and asset. Please allow me to stay in your country. Those are useful things. But those aren't what made me. Two junior colleges made me. Um, a, a system of state schools in California where I had instructors who believed, we will also teach you how to do a tax form as performers and independent contractors because that's going to be your life. Just as much as we will teach you diction um, and textual analysis. And I think that those are the things we don't, we don't talk about that. And yet, we all have to deal them. We all have to deal with them all the time. Uh, so I went out. I I always take the weird project that has been a throughline. <laughs> um, I was a dual. I was a dual, and you know, kind of floaty around, major between music and theater. Um, and so I often did a lot of dance shows because I was the only person interested in learning. Uh, choreography notation, or who could read music, um, or who didn't find it obnoxious the way that a cellist will yell back at you about the temperature and humidity (laughs) in a room, which seems very foreign if that's not a world you're from at 19. But my answer is, if you're this upset, this must mean something. Tell me more. Keep going. That is how I approach now theme parks, interactive beauty counters, experiential events. Um, In my bio, we call it LBE, location-based entertainment. Sometimes it's themed entertainment. Sometimes it's hospitality entertainment. Sometimes it's immersive theater or immersive marketing or experiential marketing. All of these things all mean the same thing. Um, It is an experience that is based on the moment you are living within. It's theater. It's ephemera. Um, even when we build it within a game engine and it sort of lives, even when I build it as a ride and it runs 55 times an hour and hundreds of thousands of times a day and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people see it a year, it's still about that moment that you feel it. Hmm. Um, and that's where I find the theater training comes in that nothing else does. Uh, I am often teaching theater practica to my film colleagues on how to think about this, right? We know how to set up a key shot. We often have um, beautiful artistic illustrations of what it should look like. But if you just line up a bunch of visions and ride through it, that will feel like nothing. Okay. How do you make it feel like something? Oh, that's music. That's scripting. That's where the interstitial comes in. Um, So I, I went off. T- I was touring around. I was uh, project production manager for the American Dance Festival out in North Carolina um, who does a lot of incredible work uh, with inter- international artists and bringing them to the US. So it's like, yeah, I worked this dance festival. What does that have to do with Imagineering? Well, I was dealing with visas and um, everything from just the basics of an artist visa travel and logistics to a lot of experiential artwork, right? Like, it might not be the most amazing special effect, but it tells the story and it does what it needs to. But now I need to get those pieces, or at least the closest approximation to them, in a state that may not carry them or may not allow that material um, for those of us who work in and out of California and different regions, right? Every everywhere has their own rules. It taught me to read those things. It taught me to pay attention. Um, when I left graduate school, I was gonna live the great New York dream that so many of us uh, from some of the outlying areas do. And, uh, 2007 had a stagehand strike and New York shut down. And that was when, um, I, like I said, I'd grown up in, uh, for a chunk of time in California. I was living out in the East Coast. I had been in the Midwest for a long period of time. Um, I had Christmas off for the first time in ages and thought, gosh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to, I'm going to see dad and see some friends and see my brothers and we'll have a Christmas. Um, And to get to the middle of nowhere, you have to fly through San Francisco. So I was stopping and visiting friends and somebody said, Hey, we just lost our stage manager. Do you mean it when you say you're free? And I said, yes, I do actually. And I would love, love 12 extra health weeks for this year. Um, And was working with San Francisco Playhouse there. Um, because they have, and they still have a mission of, uh, supporting new works, new voices. Um, and I was working with them when ThinkWell, who is a design group that's down in, uh, Los Angeles, um, they are focused in theme parks. I had a contact there who said, am I reading your Facebook right? Are you in California? Are you coming down for this party that we're having? And I said, oh gosh, um. I was thinking about it just to see friends. And they said, good, we need to interview you. Uh, <laughs> that was my first theme park job eventually. And here's the thing that we also don't talk about. Hiring in corporate world is much, much longer than theater. In theater, you can get a call and be like, I call it a crazy Ivan. It's 30 hours, right? You get a call. <laughs> the next thing you know, you, you did it hit the things you need to? Yeah, the car's packed. I'm off on my way. Um, It was a seven and a half month process and that was considered fast at that time. Uh, But I got to join the Warner Brothers Abu Dhabi team. Um, So I have the rare experience that my very first project in the industry is something that is realized and still open. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a, that's one of the big differences, right? In design work, 90% of what I do never sees the light of day. Um, I'd say of that other 10%, 10% 10% of that to, you know, so like 0.01, right? Um, has a press release and is, then never goes more than that. Um, <laughs> a few little drips and drabs of that have a groundbreaking, um, but you might be uh, Dubai land, which took delivery of its rides and still never opened. There are roller coasters sitting out in the desert that never happened. Um, much like theater, uh, large scale entertainment of theme parks and of what we call family entertainment centers or these giant livable arcades or play spaces. Uh, they all have a high operational cost and there's mm-hmm. always that economic in of somebody who's sitting at a spreadsheet going, gosh, how much do I save if we just stop it here and leave it unopened? Um, and sometimes that's what happens. And it's heartbreaking and it's crazy, uh, but again to that duality, I always carry what is the what is the experience we're giving, what are the stories we're telling, but also what makes sense money wise. I can think of both those things at once in my brain and make peace with. Yeah, you know what? Uh, a really good example of that is Bollywood. Um, we did a beautiful theme park out yes. in Dubai. Uh, Based on the IP of Bollywood. Um, And it closed this year. It did, it actually, even more than that, did not come back from Ramadan. Uh, Everything, a lot of things are seasonal in that region and close for Ramadan. And they just kind of announced oh, by the way, we're not reopening. There's a lot of discussion about what that might become. People are seeing the rides still running, which tends to mean that they want to keep that system working because these are these are systems that can work for thirty years. Um, so it might mean it's getting a new a new life, a new story of something else. There are ways that we read the tea leaves of blog posts, but that's all people's feelings and supposition. Um, much of my life is making sure that I follow an NDA and don't tell anybody anything uh, <laughs> while I read everybody else's feelings and supposition about what I'm doing <laughs> and see <laughs> what, what feels right and what feels wrong. Um, so that was, that was my first one was Warner Brothers Abu Dhabi. And then the economic crash happened. And then I got lucky um, right place, right time, had a producer at BRC um, Uh, BRC Creative Arts in Burbank, um, that she came from a theatrical background as well. So she wasn't concerned that I had only been working in themed entertainment for about a year at that point as a uh, PM and coordinator for projects. She knew that meant that I could take a lot of information, put it together and keep people talking to each other. Right? That's When we talk about the stage manager as that hub in the center of the wheel, as that thing that That is the function of it, and that is these roles. There's a whole lifeline that has to be done. Uh, So that was that was my first expo. That was Shanghai 2010 for uh, China Mobile, China Telecom. Um, We had the distinct adventure of being the first Thea, which is like the theme park. uh, It's it's the theme park awards. Um, A lot of people say it's like the Oscars and it is, but uh, most people don't understand the Oscars in that you submit yourself and you campaign and that always feels very strange to me. So I have a hard (laughs) time around the idea of awards. Um, (laughs) I I guess I grew up with a, you know, like we have these ideas of meritocracy and then it's like, oh, but really it's advertising. So I'm honored, but also we were the first ones who were brave and crazy enough to put an interactive device in people's hands, right? This was 2009 was when we were designing it. 2010 was when I deployed it. People were starting to carry smartphones. Um, They'd been carrying Blackberries and PDAs for almost 10 years at that point, but it wasn't fun. Uh, And meanwhile, we were all saying in design, this is going to be the wave of the future. This is what everybody's going to want. And now- 20 years later, yes, everything I do has an app that goes with it. Everywhere I move, there's five apps that I go to. There's a couple of places online, right? I've got that thing in my hand. Um, as I often joke, uh, I have this computer in my hand that has 12 times the computing power of the original Apollo program, and I use it to get into arguments with strangers and send cat pictures to my friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I can look up anything, and that's really useful, right? Um, And, But what does that mean when the native language of the users who are coming might be any one of a hundred languages? How do Mm -hmm. you design that interface? What does that come into? What happens when you smash live experiential designers in against UX and application interface design? Um, What happens when we start interpolating the processes of things like construction or even software that take years to build with theatrical and film that can be months and weeks. Um, how long will it have to stay is always a big conversation I'm having uh, because that tells us the robustness of the building. It tells us the longevity of everything that we deploy. Um, so that that's kind of... When I got onto the pipeline, Um, Mm -hmm. people often ask when I quit stage managing, I say, I will tell you when I know, Um, I always think (laughs) I'm done. And then something happens. Uh, If we jump through, I worked for the Vancouver Olympics in 2010 as well, Um, came back down to California and was working at the Queen Mary as the director of events there. Um, took over from a good friend who had been in theme parks. And then he went off to his next job. And I did the summer concert series. Uh, worked for a company that was had a US office, but was primarily based out of Jordan. Um, and that's a project that is near and dear to my heart that most of the industry will tell you was vaporware and never meant anything. And one of the things that's most beautiful about what we do is. I will tell you the elevator pitch is that we use first world design to sell second world hospitality and tourism, often using mm. third world labor to build it. Um, I'm and, and when people ask like, who are the people you're working with? Where do they come from? That's, that's the top down capitalist think through of it. Um, some place doesn't have a resource to sell. They have a place that is beautiful that people should visit if we build a reason for them to come. Um, somebody somewhere else with a design aesthetic and a service to sell explains how they can get them there. Those, those someone else's they're explaining it to is usually a giant real estate conglomerate of some sort and a bunch of, uh, real estate investors, usually a couple of different state, uh, governmental inter-international governmental actors. Um, and then it is a combination of local, regional, and international labor forces, um, both of all kinds that come in. Um, one of the things that most Americans don't necessarily wrap their brains, wa- their brains around is that in the UAE, only 2% of the population are Emiratis Now, right now I'm living the other side of that, right? In Japan, only 2% of the population are foreigners. Um, So it all depends on where you are. It all depends on who you're going to work with. And one of the things that I always point out about that project that I was doing in Jordan is that it was like the lamp on the end of the angler fish, right? Like you've got this big scary (laughs) fish that's hiding in the dark. The lamp was a big shiny theme park with five new hotels, all all the big selling pitch points um, in uh, Aqaba, which is a beautiful region on the Red Sea. Uh, the rest of it was actually a training center back to those kind of work-centered, how do we teach, does, do you need a BA in hospitality to know how to run a hotel? Every GM of a hotel that I know will tell you no. It was helpful. It was useful. But they didn't have to go to college for that. It's the same for restaurants. And they were building an educational center very similar to what um, we would call a, a work-to-career path. For there And that was what kept me going through through two and a half years working with that company was the, oh, I'm going to put something in somewhere that someone's going to learn from, and it's going to be an on-their-feet learning lab. Now, I'm going to design a fireworks show. That's going to be their learning lab. That's also fun. <laughs> um, sadly, that project never saw the light of day. We broke ground, and uh, the weekend that we were breaking ground at the World Economic Forum was when the border went soft with Syria for a bit mm-hmm. because everything tipped over there. And funding has to go to the people first. Like, I will never be, I am not cakes before vegetables. Um, I, I was not upset, I understood. Uh, and I moved off from there to Dubai Parks and Resorts. Um, so I started first with the Bollywood Project and then moved over onto Motion Gate And then uh, actually deployed out to Dubai for a set of months for uh, what is called a family entertainment center. Um it was called Hub Zero. It was a concept that had 35 different AAA gaming IP titles. We had rides, we had laser tag. There was an arcade that was all full of retro machines. It was kind of, um, it's a concept that has not taken off in the US, but is wildly popular most of the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and that is one of the things that I will say is we have, we tend to our detriment in the industry to have a North American. Mindset and the world is vast, and what people like and how they want to deal with things are vast. Um, So, how we create that has to be asked and articulated, and what we are giving to any region has to be asked and articulated. And as we have, it was a conversation I started having that was much harder 20 years ago who we Hmm. represent in those dreamy renderings of what the dream of what we're going to be tells us who we are marketing to. So whose story are we telling? Why are we telling it? Who is welcome here? Um, It starts from the very basics, and it is part of what we need to be having in mind when we deploy. Um, I came back from Dubai. I went to work uh, with a group called Hedema, also in Pasadena. Um, So I was in and out of L.A. for that first 10 years. Um, working with DreamWorks, working with Paramount, working with Star Trek, working with uh, Warner Brothers and all of their IP, working with the Scooby gang, because um, a different company holds the international rights in the Middle Eastern region, Uh, all sorts of random things. When something crosses your desk, you figure out a way to love it and to make a story about it. Um, And I think that's, that's the other thing that people ask about is like, but she didn't really love it. It was like, well, I find a thing that I can like about it. Otherwise, two two to ten years is a long time to hate something. Um, when the project funding ran out, back to the, well, when did I cut stage managing? Well, I thought I was long past that. And then a friend <laughs> called and asked if I knew anybody who was available. They were actually calling for any of... Um, my former assistants, and I gave them a list. And I said, sure, what's the gig? And they said, oh, we're looking for a company manager for OHI Playwrights Festival. Um, And I wound up doing that for that. Like It actually wasn't the right time for all of... I I felt very proud that all of my assistants had work when I did it. Um, But it also got to feed my soul. I got to go make theater. I thought I was just making breakfast for playwrights and helping my interns get to uh, playwriting um, fellowships. And around and then a stage manager dropped out and they said do you know anybody with an equity card and i said yes i i am <laughs> yes it's said, me <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i was at, you know in between doing dreamworks for china and pandora the world of avatar for disney i did a one-man show with mike daisy in the middle of an ohio avocado orchard um I try to say yes to the strange and crazy, and I always try to find the thing that feeds me. Um, so, after that, I was—that's kind of when the the part that makes sense to most people starts. Um, I I started with a ten week contract that lasted for two years with Disney um, on Pandora, the world of Avatar, specifically the Navi River Journey, but also where that dovetails into the larger land and the other attraction, Flight of Passage. Um, I went over to Universal's Blue Sky Creative Studio where I worked on phenomenal things that none have been again, none have been announced. I can't tell you what I was working on. And people <laughs> would just like throw out an IP and I was like, yes, I've worked on something that had that, but I've also worked on 15 other things that had none of that why you would never imagine. Um, because we paper prototype. Let's see, does it make sense? Is it fun? Is it what we want? Is it what our shareholders would like? Is it what the park that's going to take ownership of it would like? What do we think people are going to like in 10 years? What do we think people are going to like in 25 years? What's about to come up on its life plan of 30 years? These are all the things that a producer deals with, is how are we answering those questions and in partnership with a creative director, we make the creative plan to go forward. Um, As a Uh, You heard at the beginning of this, I am both a technical program manager, which is kind of the more classical nuts and bolts of people, time, and money, right? Budget, schedule, resources. How are we going to do this? Make a plan. Producing is the art of holding the story within all of that. Um, Mm. I would say that my action plan is always write the goal in pen and the plan in pencil. (laughs) that's... (laughs) And I am perpetually doing that dance. What will serve us? What will get us there? Will it be good altogether as a whole? And I'm looking at a whole. Um, As a program manager, as a project manager, we tend to look very strongly at scope, how it was defined at a previous step, what was delineated and where that is. As a producer, it is my job to stop and go, but is that actually answering the question? Um, There are many, back to that cognitive dissonance. I very often have to figure out how to parse the argument of, yes, we delivered the scope. No, it is not what we said it was going to do or what we Mm -hmm. wanted it to do. And those may be divergent. And how do you, every, we talk a lot about budgets and people are always in awe of the scale of things. And it's still very much theater with extra zeros. Mm -hmm. You are still holding things off to the side for when you need to make an 11th hour change because You were pretty sure that thing was gonna work. And it turns out that when you're translating it through three languages, it just doesn't. Um, When you have 500 people in that room, it's just too loud. All of these little questions that you're pretty sure, we have to take uh, estimates and information as we have it at the time to move forward. And uh, we make educated guesses. And that's our whole life. Um, how will I make the next step? And I'd say that's where um, I diverge, right? I also run my own consultancy. It's called Writing Chaos. And that is the ethos of Writing Chaos is when I was going through these big, rigid graduate programs, I was being told, well, we bring order to the chaos. We do this. And and I have too much physics in my background and said, yes, but nature abhors a, vacu- a vacuum and entropy is the way the universe exists. You're never going to kill it. It's going to show <laughs> up. Um. I am surfing it, and that is the ethos that I bring to the table that is slightly different than other places, um, and it's why I tend to specialize in what we call blue sky, or the early, early preconcept and feasibilities, and the integration in the end. There is no wrong answer in that very early creative bubble of what will it be, and there is no right answer in we are six months to open and it must be there because it is timing out to a bigger world event. Um, Mm-hmm. The pandemic just finished, and now we 're ready to, it, it doesn 't matter what that thing is. there are hard dates. you must meet them, and the answer is just what will get us there in the way that we said we would um, and those are those are places that I work very well um in the parlance of stage managers. I am a tech stage manager, not a two thousand performances of the same thing stage manager. And there is room in the world, in the industry for both. And we both need to exist. And I think that's another part that we don't talk a lot about. We don't always get those chances when we're coming up to find out what is the thing that our brain likes? What is the thing that we excel at? Um, Sometimes we want to reward and lean into our strengths. And sometimes we want to take something that works against our strengths to stretch. And it's really important to do both, and it's really important to be honest with ourselves, which is going on when. Uh, that's where burnout really starts to happen, is when we start to tell ourselves that one thing is totally fine and e- and easy, and we're doing a large amount of emotional work for those of us who are masking, for those of us who are code switching, those of us who are working outside of our native language, outside of our um Perceived abilities, right? Like that is my least favorite thing. Is when somebody says, "Well, they can totally do that." You don't live in their body. You don't know. You don't know what else is going on in their life. No matter how much of a community and a family, a creative group is, we all still have to live our lives outside. Um, and that's that's where uh, Harry B's descendants came from. I was watching an attrition of most of anybody who was uh, at my level. Um. A lot of folks just never came back from the big great recession. They they found insurance yeah. jobs. They found things that were much better for their families and for themselves and their sanity. And I will never be mad at them. Um, being very blunt, we don't have long lifespans. Uh 2019 was as as awful as 2020 was for the rest of the world. 2019 was a horrible year for me. I buried a lot of friends from cancer's young, and strange heart attacks and weird site events. And it's a thing we don't necessarily, like, we're starting to have that conversation, right? The the Ghost Light Project is starting now. There is now, this year, the first mental health uh, first aid courses specifically targeted and designed for backstage workers. There is now um, full conversations and online meetings for those in recovery while trying to live a tour life. And what does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. how do you find, how much of those things are what we were taught to function? And now we've taken that away. How will I do this? Um, because we're talking about longevity, right? The entire world has to answer the question now, how will I do a job for 60 years? That has never existed mm-hmm. before. And all of us, whether we are 80 or 18 now have to answer that question. And we're all like, that's the other thing is I, I talk with a lot of folks at a lot of different parts of life who are saying, Well, what's the way? And it's like, there there isn't. Nobody expected to be a stage manager for more than 35 years. That was the gold standard. Now we're talking about you might do that three times that long. Is anything built? like No no perfect uh, old school Ford Motors corporate job was built for that. How can the, we're going to put on a show because we think stories are awesome have done that. And Terry um, B's Descendants was that start of, I wanted to have these bigger conversations. And sometimes instead of eating the whole dinosaur at once, you got to pick the one small one. We had no affinity groups in theme park world at all. We had nothing that was there. There were a lot of groups that I could see that were not entering or not being allowed to enter, right? Um, and I can't answer, I cannot represent groups that are not mine. But this, but how to be a femme-presenting body in production. That was a thing I definitely knew at that point in time. Um, I use she, they pronouns. One of the funniest things uh, I was telling Kat about this earlier, nickel is the masculine form for all of my Italian speakers out there. You weren't wrong when you read that. That's just the way that my family gives the name. I absolutely used that at parts of my early career to get myself into the door. And then some very surprised people interviewed me for technical positions that i know they would not have interviewed nikki or nicole for um
1: mm.
0: what are the hats we wear uh i am genderqueer. i am gender fluid i very strongly believe ruPaul's declaration that we are born naked and everything after that is drag i don't exi- i don't agree with every single word that has come out of ru's mouth but that one sure resonated um <laughs> and i kind of walk that line right uh I have had any number of projects tell me, gosh, you're a real man's woman. And I say, what does that mean? And then they, you know, you're one of the guys. You're one of the lost boys. We have all of these phrases. And I was talking to other people and they felt weird. And also the, okay, great. As we go through different eras of our lives, what will that mean? What does that mean when I'm starting to work in varying countries where that changes my rights? Mm -hmm. In the U.S. What does that mean when I'm working in various states where that changes? It was... At once, a codified mentoring project. Um, Cynthia, my co founder, and I used to jokingly refer to ourselves as the mentoring bitches because people <laughs> were just saying, Hey, I've got somebody who's got questions. We're sending them to you. And the two of us needed a model that scaled. And we fundamentally believed that everybody is a mentor in something. <laughs> and we thought, Great, uh, at the very least, we can start a Slack channel and get folks talking to each other and get some job boards going. Um, and the biggest of our driving factors is the whether it's conferences or your hiring pools. When everybody says, "Well, that's what that's just what the industry works looks like," um, why is why are the why is the industry overwhelmingly presenting white, North American, upper class, not even middle class, male, cis, vaguely hetero or hetero conforming? Like we have, I, I get into these conversations all the time with people, like we have plenty of gay people. And I say, yes. And how many of them are presenting them are having to present a life, whether it's right or wrong for them and their partner or partners that conforms to the ideal of the nuclear family, because that's what we're presenting. Um, we weren't having those conversations. I was watching people have to give up an industry they loved because they didn't feel like they could go meet all clients. We were all playing the pronouns games. We were all parsing things. Um, and so we started the conversations, and we just started pushing. And now, I'm really excited that we've been passed. I'm really excited that the Big Break Foundation now exists, and um, Quantum and Theme Up, and there are a lot of really phenomenal groups uh, to help and support, discuss. Uh, we schol- they scholarship they board um, for many more marginalized identities within this convergence of gaming, immersive theater, live events, and theme parks, um, my goal is always to make myself obsolete. I, 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 am, I am at best Hodor. I am here to be a doorstop to keep the door open <laughs> so that as many people as want to can get in and do this. Um, but also because that means I get to do as many crazy projects as I want to do. I was doing big, crazy roller coasters and rides, My most recent public thing was the Galactic Star Cruiser, which just announced its closure. I have a lot of feelings about that. I will talk to anybody about that one-to-one. I am not a representative of the Disney company or the Disney team, but what I can tell you is that um, it's not a hotel. It's a 49-hour immersive theater experience that you take a nap in with a full gourmet menu. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I have to say that because everybody who comes to something called theater art life podcast, when I say, oh, it's a fringe festival in a box with star Wars IP, you start to have a sense of what I'm talking about. None of that necessarily came through to everybody. Um, there were scripted places, there were hours of unscripted pieces, um, full casts of, uh not just equity actors, but also um, musician, character performers. All of our cast members had to live within the diegetic world of Star Wars. They all had a backstory. They all knew the timeline. They all knew where we were and what was going on. Um, The downside of a fandom like Star Wars is some people come just to see if they can ruin the day of everybody else by asking all the questions and making it hard and trying to break the cast members. And every one of those... Staff members stood up to it and was ready for it and played hard as part of their job. And, um, you know, Sunday in the Park with George. Now we have a hat where there never was before. This is a thing that did exist. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're going to run and play hard for nine months. Um, I am so excited for my theme park family who's out there doing that in Orlando. Um, and I'm going to be out here in Tokyo making things out here for the expo and partners in this hemisphere that also want to play on that, um, that continue to build. And sometimes it's an interactive beauty counter. That's what brought me out here just before the <laughs> pandemic, right? Um, sometimes we're going to ask that question, right? How how would I sell this face cream if it were the Apple store? Somebody asked me that, <laughs> we delivered it. Um, but I also got to learn, okay, how does this market like to interface with things? And so that's kind of my, that's a very long story to give you a very long arc. Um, But it's also that question when people are like, well, I didn't get into my first choice internship, so I can never do this. I've had people within some of these organizations say, oh, our projects need you, but we will never hire you long term. But if you'd like to keep doing contracts, we will hire you forever there is a way to make a life. There are ways to do these things. It may not look like what you planned. It may not be how you hoped. You may spend a lot of time using very small words to try to soothe your parents or family or spouses that this is going <laughs> to be okay. Um, you may make different choices, but the only thing you can do is be true. Uh, you know, It's it's very cliche to say be true to yourself. Um, I would say write the writer, the tour writer for what are your core values and be willing to articulate, right? Sit down, write those things. What is important? Why am I doing this? What does it matter? Yeah. Nobody can, I, uh, my favorite negotiation tip, particularly stage managers and
1: PMs. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theater Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communication since 1968 for theater and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. You can find them at C L E A R C O M dot Go check them out.
0: Make your damn spreadsheet, detail it, uh, and assign your salary hour to every life hour that you do. So for every hour you spend, cleaning the bathroom. That is, um, you know, I, I always share my rates. Uh, I always do those things. So if, you know, if you find me on LinkedIn tomorrow and say, Hey, what's your rate for this? I'm going to tell you, um, it changes during region. It changes based on what you're asking me to, but I do actually make a spreadsheet and assign a rate to look every hour that I have to spend doing my taxes and cleaning the bathroom. And when I drove a, a, a car, I, I ride the train here. Filling the engine and taking it to get the oil changed is an hour I cannot spend on this work. So that's a cost. Um, It's very easy to hold your line in a negotiation when you know what the costs are for you. Nobody can tell you that your life doesn't cost that. Um, And for those of us who have a hard time advocating ourselves, it makes it very easy to say, look, these are the numbers I'm trying to make for this you can fix that any way you want. Um, I know, for instance, Kat, you're with Cirque right now. You have access to a physio team. I cannot tell you what that means in being able to talk to a person who can help you even say, this hurts. How does it hurt to go explain to a doctor? Right? So no, that company may not be Paying for you to do that, right? Your health care benefit may not necessarily. It might be. I don't know that your contract um, <laughs> does not necessarily say physical therapy, but they have saved you the cost of what would be making the appointment, finding the appointment, going through three other specialists to find the answer to the thing to make a plan. Oh, that's a value they can do. Um, I tell a, a lot of. Uh, I've worked all over the world. And a lot of times I tell people, look, this number that I'm giving you seems very high. It's if I have to do everything in cash. Mm. If the answer is we have an apartment for you to move into, I no longer have to deal with the rent and the utilities and X, Y, and Z sort of things. Great. And sometimes, sometimes there are donors. Sometimes it's part of the development. I'm like, I have lived in the hotels that I'm opening more times than I can count. And there are rules that go with that and all sorts of things. But it also allows us to work from a place of solving the puzzle right mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not here to say you must give me x pile of cash of this height or i'm not interested it is these are these are the needs i need to meet how how can we meet them sometimes that's extra days off in the week sometimes that's my department has one extra person so that i have more time to go see that physical therapy whatever that is mm-hmm. um how we can elastically solve the puzzle of how we make the thing is also how i handle my life um and that has been the biggest change from where i started let's say 20 years ago because 20 years ago i didn't even ask if i wanted to do the thing i was packing the car before ever asking if like somebody called to say are you available and i was fold. i was putting things in right <laughs> <laughs> gotta take that gotta figure that out um Five years, 10 years after that, it was I would figure out how to do that and then go do it. Now I stop and ask, am I the right person for it? Do I know somebody who is? My, my greatest joy is when I can recognize, oh, I am the right person in the wrong seat or I am just the wrong fit for this, but I know five people who you should talk to about this and I can help find people find that way. It, it is a feeling I cannot uh, tell. Give work away. Like that's like my number one trick for mental health sanity in this <laughs> industry. Give work away to people who will love it. You will never find any joy greater and that seems insane but it's not pie. Like there's always going to be more. There's always enough. Um and the the relationships you build that way just keep coming back.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, um, so you've mentioned several of the projects that you've worked on over the years, and we understand that you essentially are serving as the hub of the wheel in most of these cases. Uh, for our listeners, though, who might not be so familiar with themed entertainment projects or what that kind of team looks like, could you describe kind of the roles on the team and what kind of function you serve within that?
0: Sure. Um with the giant caveat. Literally every office does it differently. Every client will do it differently. Um, Countries, companies, investors all have different perceptions and expectations of what role titles are and who handles that and what that is. Um, And I, I don't just say that to cover my ass. It's because quite literally... I can do the same job under six different titles, and I can do six different jobs under the same title, um, even within the same project. So we're gonna take the case of a large-scale roller coaster, mm-hmm. um, which is different from a nighttime spectacle, right? I came from a hardcore theater opera dance background. <laughs> I have never deployed a large-scale live show in a theme park like it just hasn't happened for me um just like uh i'm a rossini who desperately always wanted to at least once in my opera career do a rossini never happened (laughs) for me um sometimes that's the way the dice lay (laughs) right and you kind of take it um and i i specify that because they are different right there are multiple imagineerings within disney um So you might have two friends who are technical directors for Imagineering who do wildly different things, and you're like, Mm. well, maybe one of them is lying. No, they might even be (laughs) on the same project. Um, They it is what is needed, when it is needed, where it is needed, and how. So if we think about, uh, very often there are kind of we'll we'll go with some like buckets of a big ride. So your first big bucket. which is the part that most people don't ever want to think about, um, which is the land, the investment, the civics, and uh, country customs. Um, There is usually, like, these things are big. Uh, In the U.S., this has gotten highlighted because a state entity has decided to get into a fight with a corporate entity. Um, Choices were made. (laughs) Uh, And... When I like, we all live within this. My dad calls me and he's like, but they don't really do that. And it's like, well, sort of, right. Functionally, it comes down to, is every city ready to take on that role? Japan mm-hmm. didn't have, Japan has a governmental ride ministry. They're just like, there is a ministry of health and a ministry of transportation. There was a ministry of of theme park roller coasters. Um. They didn't have that before Tokyo Disneyland. That's when it started. <laughs> now it now it exists. And now everybody, even Fuji-Q and every regional, and even um, the new Harry Potter studios that's going to open, and Osaka, USJ, all of those people now work with that group. They learn. They develop. Um, so sometimes there is also a... when When I say I am in infrastructural conversations, I don't just mean to the government agency. I mean, sometimes I'm setting up the government agency. Um, Is there power, you know, things that flow, water, power, data, streets, land, (laughs) are those things set up? Because there can be, you can spend 10 years just getting the land deal together, depending on the size of the project. Um, Usually there's somebody who is a producer or a project manager sized role on that. They're called different things. There's absolutely a person there. They absolutely have a coordinator or 12. Um, Somebody has to write the paperwork. Somebody has to make the form. That's going on at that level. Then you get into the investors. Where is it going to be? What is it going to be? The investors often, um, so they have all of their organizational group. and For for lack of a better word, just imagine your typical giant multinational corporation. Um, It could be a Hilton. It could be a BlackRock, it could be a Vanguard, it could be a governmental energy, like it could be any of these companies. Think of, Think of a a multinational corporation and that's usually what it is either is or is aspiring to be. They then either they then contract somebody to design it. There are certain groups who do that internally um, and that's when we get into the magics of tax math, where we have different corporate entities who we pay, for things from division to division, but they're not the same team as the team who has decided what it will be, Um, then starts to get into defining what will that feel like, right? What will it be? It will be uh, a conference center, five hotels, we'd like a museum of some type, a theme park, and some water slides. Great. That same team that is putting together the funding for that, the long-range planning for that, the will we tie this to an Olympics, a World's Fair, another major event of that, is different from the team who then decides it will be blue, it will have pixie dust, it might be a magic talking tree, Um, whatever that (laughs) is. Sometimes we make those things up ourselves. Sometimes we tie it to known IP. We do a lot of work in the industry that is based on regional folklore. It's one of my favorite things that we don't ever talk about. Um during during one of the big China build eras, it felt like it people would just say I'm working on the Monkey King theme park because there is this underlying the the deep entrenched myth of the Monkey King and and the gods of the winds, right? Um this was really hilarious to hear Westerners say because they would say the And there were always 25 of these going on. There's one here, there's one there, there's Shenzhen, there's Hong Kong, there's Ulan Beitor, there's Beijing, there's like, because it was a thing, it was a story to grab onto and to start working through. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they stayed that way and sometimes they became other things. Um, So there's that group, right, that does that design. There is also going to be an operational group. Somebody's going to have to run this thing. How will we do this? Who will live in this for 30 years? Because um, the building will be there for that long, at least, right? Let's just say that without without a full demolition, like say an Evergrande, even if you don't open it, the building will be there. like, somebody's got to deal with that. <laughs> um, so when we are in our best thinking forward planning mode, we often have an operational partner who is on a long range contract that we talk to. So inside that design unit, and this is where I'm going to kind of focus on what I do, which is design. I don't do a lot of heavy engineering, right? There are engineering consulting groups who we bring on, but we don't need to define exactly how many tons of force a ride will take yet. We just need to talk about: will it be a roller coaster or will it be a teacup, right? Maybe it's a ride through. Maybe it's a boat ride. Maybe it's a simulator. Maybe it is an immersive theater thing. Um, Maybe it's an AR helmet. We don't. That's what we're sorting out, and we just need somebody to say, yeah, it can have a parameter of this. And our parameters are pretty, pretty fuzzy, right? Bigger than a container truck smaller than a 30 story building. That's what we're talking about at that range. Um, and the producer is very much the producer is very much the hub of the creative design intent um, within a design group. Uh, sometimes that's called the project manager or the account executive. Um, sometimes it's called the creative executive, and some teams one person is writing it, producing it, and managing it. Sometimes that's three people. Sometimes that's four people. That's where things get very fuzzy. And I'm not I'm not caging. It's just it depends on the size of the project as to yeah. whether or not it can be one person or four. Um, when we we start to look at, you know, at that phase, you probably need two people to handle a whole, let's say a part, like a theme park sized thing. Cause let's, let's call that like 14 football fields of size, you know, 14 pitches. That's a lot of space. Um, What's going to go there. You're, you're then starting to go back to those other groups that I just delineated to, is there power there? Will there be a freeway? You, you who have been discussing, how will we get an off ramp there? We want to open this in, um, let's say 2030, mm-hmm. is the off-ramp showing up in 2025 so I can use it to build things? Or is the off-ramp not being not coming in until six months earlier in 2030 or 2029? Um, I've done many projects where all of those things were planned and would eventually be there. They were not there for the building of it. So none of your logistical plans had a trucking turnaround because mm. that was actually the last of things to come in because that was... Assumed to be part of what the guests would need from the city usage, right? And then, right. and and then you're dealing with what does a local city government think of all of this, and where are they going to fund it, and how will that work, right? All of my friend, all of my friends and family, and folks who work in um, sports entertainment live this day by day constantly, right? Stadia are often funded by the cities they're in through bond measures and taxes. So when they can raise it, how they can get there. Um, become these wild moving puzzles of, mm. okay well i know i've got to have this in i've got to have this in by two years before we open to be able to put the ride into it six months later to be able to test that nine months later oh i'm gonna need a temporary road built um and that's a lot of so what what makes a nicola is that Nicola never says no. <laughs> Nicola says, I need three <laughs> tanks, a road, and a way to get there. Um, you can choose how you solve that. Uh, I don't really care if you have a crown on your head or the title of president or whatever. Um, it's It's yes and, yes if, but sometimes these are big insane asks, and I have decided that you have asked me to do the insane and the hard. So to do it in the way that you've asked is this version of insane. To do it not insane would be to like have a road there or not do it until there's a road there. Instead of 2030, can we open this in 2035? If if you're Mm. not building that till 2029, let's build it in 2035.
1: No, that's not an answer. Great. Very similar to the personal negotiations that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's it's not about the nitty gritty as much as it is the ultimate goal. If you can help me to reach this goal, then we can make it work. Yeah
0: yeah and that's that's the biggest part of management in this is holding the overall in your head and and fighting for it and advocating for it, right? Because nobody's interestingly enough, nobody's job is to advocate for it. Most of us who wind up holding the role of executive producer, that's usually what we are taking on more than anything, right? Like what's the difference between a producer and an executive producer? A producer is more, um, if, you t- if you're if you talking about like the bend in an hourglass, right? Mm-hmm. These are both roles that are serving up and down, but the executive producer is working for those up. We are feeding up. We are making things into giant bite-sizeable graphs mm. that you can get to in four words or less. Uh, clearly, I have a hard time with that. Uh- <laughs> The the producer the, the line producer, the project manager, um, we have many show managers are roles or words that we use for that, um, show production managers, uh, facility design managers. Those are all the people who are looking, who are working, you know, you're being fed up by the team. You have to be taking in all of that information and still sorting out the plan, mm-hmm. but that has to go to somebody. And where does that go on the chain, right? Um, and I think that's uh, – I learned the the hourglass model um, from a project director I worked with both uh, for like 14 and a half seconds on something out in the desert and then again when we were at Universal uh, with Don. And he really said that and it resonated with me mm. um, because I really feel like when we can get to that point where – people are not antagonists. They're just at different points. And yes, they feel constricting in points where it narrows down to maybe four of us who have to make sense of this and serve both larger groups. Um, I I come from a leadership of service model. I will always come from a leadership of service model. I will lose jobs because I come from a leadership of service model. Um, I have made peace with that. And I say that 12 times because it is one of those core values on my writer that when I am asked to not, when I am asked to do leadership as profit, uh, mm. leadership as representative of an investing group, um, it doesn't resonate as well. People can tell that I'm uncomfortable. Um, I can fall into inconsistencies in how I word things or how I'm messaging things because I'm still trying to make sense of it. Mm. Um that's where the human-centered management models started coming from. Is that I started asking, like, well, who wants to say we had fourteen em- emergency injuries that could have been avoided because they weren't really emergencies; they were burnout mm-hmm. for vacations. You know, uh, I come from a medical services family; they have emergencies. I do. I really have emergencies. We have things that are created that feel like emergencies, and they're incredibly intense. It's it's a vacation. Like there are there are emergencies that happen within a site. There are physics emergencies. Yeah. There are medical emergencies. There are very few theme park emergencies, um, and I I think that's often what that leadership team's job is to do. Um, there are plenty of groups that use the leadership style of trying to keep everybody everything changing and everything on the back foot because they feel that that uncertainty drives teams into creating greater creative pitches, creating um, better value models for the investors, squeezing out profit, delivering it faster. Those are always the varying other goals that you are weighing as priorities. Um, and i can i can't say that it's wrong to do that right i have plenty of colleagues who have been far more successful for different terms of success but would i would i feel good in that life no hmm. um, and that's a really important thing to start asking when like that's where the zeros come down in this i will flat out tell anybody who says oh you live in all of these quote unquote third world countries and i have a lot of arguments about how we rate things hemispherically, racially, (laughs) systemically. Um, And and people will say, the the, the very genteel way of asking is, how was that? And I know, I know what the subtext is for that. Um, And being somebody who's from the US, my answer is always, it's the same as in Arkansas. It's the same as in Texas. It's the same as in Florida. There are plenty of places where the same rules that you are using to put down a different culture, a different country, are implicit. You know, They're explicit in one place where I am and implicit where the place that I come from. But that doesn't mean they can't both be enforced at any given time. Mm. And that doesn't mean they can't be gotten around at any time. And that's a, that's a big thing that we also don't talk about, Like right? One of the things that we do have the ability to do on these sites is say, no, everybody who works for my team, who touches my team has to meet. If you have put out any version of a health and safety and diversity standard, all of these things, and I lump these in because we're talking psychological safety and physical safety, same thing. Yeah. Um, plenty of companies say that their sub subcontractors and vendors have to uh, adhere to that too. That can change an entire site. You can change how hierarchical your area tries to be. And that's that's a thing I bring up in this conversation of what are these roles? Because not everything has to be a rote hierarchy. Um, there is a favored phrase in corporate project management that I hate um <sighs> because it's very violent. It is one throat to choke. Um Ugh. which right, right? <laughs> Why would I want to be that? Like, and and it's funny because no, I thank I hear you. People- like and people <laughs> tell me this as as a compliment. Yeah, you know, I love having you on here, Rossini. You're always responsible. You're, you always make it clear where one throat choke. It's like, well, I don't want my throat choke. Like, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Not interested. No choking, um, no please. <laughs> right, right. Like we should always be able to draw that boundary, be heard and understood. Um, right. All things with consent. <laughs> um, all thing, nothing without consent. It's very, it's a, it's a really funny thing to say out loud. Like I say that all the time on sites and people are like, is that necessary here? And I was like, well, it's a very useful way to frame it. <laughs> Did we have that conversation? Was it in my contract? Was it in this company's contract? That's how we're going to talk about the fee rate change, right? Yeah. You didn't contract us for that. We can do that. It will cost you this change order. Mm. Um, so that's a lot of what I'm doing. I'm communicating expectations. I'm communicating cost changes. Um, We are bringing on to and often recommending who those partners for what we call so SME, sometimes just just the SME, subject matter experts. That's that's your ride vendor. That's your special effects team. That's your projection team, your AV designers. All of those folks know the areas. You don't have to know the thing. You need to know who to ask and who are partners Mm -hmm. and who are the ones. Who are ready to work in which region that you're in? Who are the ones who are multilingual in their office? So they aren't going to, like, what level of culture shock are you asking somebody to walk through? Um, And from the site and ownership side, what level of somebody else's culture shock are you asking them to put up with if you recommend them? If it's a group Mm. who's not used to working outside of their same region where that is, what what is uh, I have one production designer who calls it the, the ratio of juice to squeeze, right? Like, how hard am I working to get that one thing? That might be the best sweetest orange juice out there. But if I gotta like put 600 pounds of pressure on it, maybe I don't use that orange. Um, that might not be it feels like it's the right perfect thing. Okay, What else could give us that? What else mm. could feel like that? That's what we're talking about in the creative creation portion is what's the feeling? what do i want people to walk uh, there's there's a great uh, uh futurist buzzword right now of design fiction it's a great system for thinking through this but all of it is saying like what is the artifact that you want somebody to walk away from this experience with and then you work backward from what would that show feel like what would that scene at the climax feel like to give you mm. that feeling um again with things that i think theater folks and theater training really gives you enough repetition and muscle building on is thinking through things that way, right? We're selling tickets Mm -hmm. before we start creation half the time. Um, It's terrifying when you try to break that down (laughs) for people. In other words, as somebody who bounces in and out of things that we don't even announce to the world until we're ready to put it into the ground. It's like, I Mm -hmm. did that. No, but I still think that way. Um, I still think about I'm already, somebody's coming. What do I want them to feel? I don't ask if they're going to come. Um, those are, those are consumer insight studies and marketing studies and things we do back at that early stage when we're looking at where <laughs> and what. Um, so in this, the, as there's, there's what are the teams, and then there's what are the phases, right? So there's blue right. sky and concept and feasibility. That's what we're talking about with these teams. Then we start getting into two areas that are called uh, either detailed design, schematic design. Um, some teams call this feasibility, sometimes call the funding people feasibility, and some people call the, like, what are the nuts and bolts pieces of it feasibility. That's another thing that is hard to parse. And um, I choose, as a human to believe that i'm not ever being done by asking the question and sometimes people are like wow we love your energy maybe don't ask that question in front of the client i'm like look <laughs> were you certain that all 16 people in the room were using that word the same way because i'm more terrified that we have a different expectation um you don't have to choose to take that on for yourself, but find a tactic for sure. That is one of those big things, those clarifying questions, those are we all on the same page here? Absolutely. Are we all talking about the same thing? What does that mean? It's a lot of spreadsheets. It's a lot of inventory lists, not just what are all the parts and pieces of all of this, but who are all the people we will need for this? How long-ish will we need them for? Um that's what happens in those phases. And that's usually when you start doing things like construction drawings. Your art, you know, When you start to understand construction and architecture, you start to understand everything that supports that, right? So you're having to do ground studies, groundwater studies, runoff, flooding, all of those things are going into it. That's why any one of these um, attractions or projects can take eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I will say, because there's a lot of people who watch the Imagineering story or watch um, the case study events or things, that they're like, but they did that in 18 months, and it's sort of um, – Find out how much or ask yourself, how much information did they have about everything else before they started that? Because typically what it means yes. is it was a place that was already owned. There was something that was already there. Somebody had already done the environmental studies, the impact studies, the culture study. They knew all of those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I start with things that are soup to nuts. So I'm 10 years out because we're just asking, literally, can the ground support it if we build that here? Or are we going to have to sink pylons or structural steel to then create something to build the infrastructure onto, to build the building onto, to put the ride upon? Those are the questions that we deal with. Sometimes there's already a set of answers there. Um, Sometimes we punt and we say, great, we're going to say that we will give to you the set of work that assumes you have done all of this. So from the point that we start this work forward is three to four years. But what we are telling you can be accomplished in three to four years requires this set of knowledge. And until we review all of it to see if we have that information, um, and that's also if you, for those of my folks who love to read blogs and see where things and try to understand where the years jump around, that's usually what that is, is that, yeah, if you know everything you can do, I we can, we can do um. Things that are re- like rehabs and reskins. Um, for my Disney fans, that's when Frozen took over what was Maelstrom or Guardians of the Galaxy took over what was Tower of Terror, right? Those are knowns. They were operating teams in there. They had all the data. And if they didn't have something, they just went in on third shift with the team who was already keeping that building running. You ask the questions. You get scans of things. You get all of that information. Um That's different, right? Than- <laughs> You're going into something. We we also deliver events in, in Uzbekistan on what used to be temple sites because we're doing a mapped projection of something. We have great hand drawings of that. Is that to scale? Is that perspective? We don't know. We're not necessarily certain that the person we're talking to has the, like, and this is the thing I will always caution people on. It's not whether or not they know it. It's whether or not they have the English to convey mm. a complex art concept, right? I get this yeah. all the time where they're like, they don't know that. I'm like, I assure you they do. They're an architect, they're an artist. I assure you they know it. They just don't have your particular slang for it. Um, yes. Just like in theater, we have all of the slang that is not the word for word and you kind of got to f- get with your local team and find out what they call the thing. That is absolutely true in construction. It is absolutely true in large scale lab events. Um. Those are conversations that are happening for those who are Olympics watchers and Expo watchers. That's a big part of the big package process. Do you already know all of the information of the site you are proposing? When you see a city that is being asked to rebid and repropose year after year after year, it's, it's not a we're too nice to say no. It's a we actually want to say Yes. But you're not there yet for a four-year turnaround. You're a mm-hmm. 12-year turnaround. Go find out this information and come back. Um, and and I think that's, a, that's nowhere in my life did I expect to know this much about construction management while still being a creative entity. Um, when we talk about flukes that gave you hands into things, by fluke, my undergrad did not have computer assisted drawing or any any version of CAD or licenses for the theater students. I think my second year, we got three licenses for the entire department for a shared computer lab, right? Give you kind of a sense of when I went to school too, but they had a fleet of licenses at whole like, you know, hundred person labs in the engineering school and a construction management department. You can mm-hmm. take the CAD class there. You can mm-hmm. learn all of that there. So, I actually, like, somebody was like, How did you know? I was like, I didn't know. I could tell theater was already moving, like, the better funded universities, the bigger things were already talking about using CAD for scenic design. I was learning hand drafting and was pretty sure someday I was going to need to know CAD and I could get access to it because the junior college down the street and the state school I was at definitely were turning out people to go into construction. Mm-hmm. Um, so these terms weren't strange to me. It was just like reaching back into the Wayback machine of like, I remember this. I didn't think I was going to need to know it. I didn't think I cared. But it got me used to, oh, right, that's how they're asking that question. That's how mm-hmm. that's coming through. Um, so that gets you up to building of the building.
1: Mm-hmm. right?
0: That's when we get into install integration. Um, so there is always a set of media team. Like, Well, I would say, always in the year 2023. Um, But even, even, uh, even Tivoli in the 1900s had BGM. It was a band that walked around and somebody talked about what were the songs that they wanted that, that band to play in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, In the recording era, we have a team that is working on what is the music. They are defining that they're working back to me in creative and back with my project manager as to, What's that going to cost us? Which symphony are we going to use? Which recording are we going to use? Who has what licenses? I spend a lot of time in these big IP projects with licenses and um, fundamentally as amazing as it is to work with the composers who wrote a lot of the things of my childhood As somebody who now sits in the chair that's making the decision, sometimes we do that just because, well, we know we're going to want something that sounds a lot like that, and we don't want to get sued for it sounding too much like that. So it might be worth hiring that person or their assistant to just write our theme, and then we own it, right? It's all work for hire. Um, It's working out those contracts. It is explaining them both to artists and then back to the investors of why it's worth it, Um, and then making sure that I'm hearing my subject matter experts on what is important. What do they need? What Mm -hmm. will stop them from being able to keep going? What are the decisions that, you know, as important, and I am a deeply egalitarian person, as important and necessary as it is for everybody to have a voice. At what point in time do we have to have made a decision, consensus or not? Mm -hmm. And who will be the person who says, yeah, like, functionally the best projects that I've worked on, the best creative leaders I've ever worked with, are the ones who could say, look, our three goals are this. And they're usually um, not, it is blue. Like, it's not, it is this Pantone chip. It is that uh, piece of technology and it is this moving headlight. Um, For Pandora, it was, you see the bioluminescent forest, you ride on a Banshee, you meet a Navi if those were answered, we did the thing. And then what was what, you know, everybody celebrates Joe rody He's, he's so much uh, known that he's kind of a face character, which are characters played by humans rather than the fuzzy heads in a park. Yes. Right? He's kind of the face character of Imagineering. Um, what I will say is he, to me, the reason he is a leader to be learned from um, that we don't he he says it, not everybody hears it, um, is that he fundamentally believes in giving people a goal and supporting their decisions, but also holding them to it. And he is a human who has learned from, he, he acknowledges where he failed something by not listening and how he would now learn from that. How does he approach that now? What did he learn from doing uh, Tokyo Disneyland or Epcot that then went into animal kingdom. Um, He can trace that for you. And he will look at you and say, yep, that big, bold swing you said answers that. Uh, But on budget is a parameter and it's nowhere near that. Why did you bring that in this room? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or vice versa, you're on budget, you made the answer, that answer is correct, but now that it's hard, you want to go back to what was the easier answer. No, you made that choice. You must stick with it and see it through. I believe hmm. in you enough to push you to see it through. Um, and that's that's honestly often the harder part in projects that are 10 years long, even four, three years long, or projects that are going on through a pandemic, through an economic downturn, through all of those things, is that you have to find a way not to give up You have Mm -hmm. to find a way to keep going, and you have to find a way to believe. Um, And that's kind of anything. Uh, I I don't mean to make that sound that easy or that flippant, um, but it's okay if the answer is just, well, we're too far in to choose differently. Sometimes that's 6 you're going to do six months of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're going to go home every night and shower off the construction site and think about it some more. And then when you get to that review, right? We do reviews. We have a review cycle that is kind of like um, previews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're just further out so that you have time to change these big moving pieces. Um, and you're still working with a lot of people in the building who are, I was about to say just. There is no such thing as just a contract tradesman, Um <laughs> please understand i do not that is not <laughs> what i mean by that but these are people who they might de- be deployed to your park this week they might be deployed to an oil rig they might be deployed to the hospital down the street they might be building a strip mall they do not care whether or not you're meeting the navi mm-hmm. they have this set of work they have these set of hours it's having to learn this is just a job this is just somebody's vacation this is just a job this is just a site Um, is actually the harder part for me of transitioning in and out of kind of these bigger artistic goals. Because of that, we're all pulling for it. We all want this to make it ethos. Um, There Mm. are points when I have to say to my bosses, because they're like, you know, well, don't they all believe in it? Aren't they all going to get it? Yes. And it's Eid. It's Diwali. It's whatever the major holiday is for where it is. And we're going to take it off because that day of celebration will feed everybody more for the next week than what we might have gotten out of that one day of pushing through while everybody was pissed that they were called in and had to work through it. Absolutely. Um, right? Like, these, these. <laughs> this is the life of a producer – is to yes. look at the human cost of it. Um, I'd say more than when I'm in my program manager hat. My program manager hat has to be able to quantify that to a percentage of work and find the value judgment aspect of it. Mm-hmm. What you know, ROI, return on investment. What's the ROI of putting three more bathrooms in that area instead of just sending people across the land or across the park or across the parking lot or five pavilions down? If you're at an expo site, you know that's a big one. When you're, yeah. <laughs> when you're looking at places where somebody can say that's not mine I don't have to deal with it it's like oh will they come back if they leave that's a question i ask a lot for things that are like um branding booths and experiential marketing if it's fashion week will they come back to me like if they if they walked out of this fashion to go to that one can i guarantee they're not going to see something shinier it's like i want to believe in my product enough but maybe i just mm-hmm. make sure they have the bathroom and aren't leaving maybe i have better appetizers. Um, it can be that for the list. It can be that simple. And that is an answer. Hmm. Um, so what I think I want to impress upon folks is that if your skill is management, uh, there are literally hundreds of managers on each one of these sites. Just because there is one central project director and one central project manager does not mean that there are not Every, every subcontractor, every vendor, um, every subject matter area, every specialty area all have roles that may be called something else, but are managers of mm-hmm. other people there. Um, and I think that's a thing that I've watched a lot of folks who uh, we drop out early because we, the one thing we know doesn't match what we're going to do. Um, And a great example of that is if you already know halfway through college that you're not going to be the greatest art director that there ever was. Okay, great. And if you're truly not happy talking about that, talking about art and around art and managing other people doing art, don't do it. But if you find you like managing and you love this, you might love working for somebody like, I have... 15 high-vector graphic companies that are printing enormous wall-sized murals for us. It's effectively project management, but you have to have the type of eye and all the extra cones and rods to see all the colors and be able to have all of those discussions amongst 15 artists, colorists, and that person who does have that magical spark to be the most amazing art director (laughs) to do it. It's still worth it for you to get an art degree. It's still worth it for you to do, to take a job like no job I've ever taken from slinging sandwiches to working in uh, menswear fitting suits has not been used on this site somewhere. Um, I didn't think that at the time. I didn't know it, but yeah, I know. I know what's needed in hot and cold and three compartment sinks for events because I, I. had to work in a deli at one point because that was the job I could on paper say I was qualified for um and I am such a klutz that I managed to knock a, a clock off the wall doing the mopping but that also means that <laughs> I know like what the range is for a cleaning crew <laughs> right like it's a six-foot thing so we need to we need to design everything out of reach of anything somebody would use and people were like oh you must have studied that no that was not interior design that was I broke a thing when I was 14.
1: Well, it's Um, all these experiences, right? It's mm -hmm. all these things that make us who we are as people and as professionals. And there's a way that every little experience and every failure and every success can really come back to us and give us the skills that we need to succeed in what we're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so
0: that's the thing that i that I really want to impress. If you're looking to move into these areas, don't just look at the ownership and the operations companies, right? Like, yes, everybody thinks they want to work for Disney. might not be the right culture for you, might not be the right office for you. Um every team within these buildings is entirely different. might not be like just because you had fourteen interviews doesn't mean that the fifteenth one isn't with somebody else entirely different, and that wouldn't be different. Um, but, Look at the vendors. Look at the subcontractors, because fundamentally we're all using the same people. Like that's the thing that always kicks that, yeah. that always cracks me <laughs> up. Um, when people ask me, well, you know, I, I I rattled something off, and I was like, oh, so you just need to call whomever at Hudson Scenic that particular week, and they were like, oh, so you worked with them on I don't know Shanghai Disney. I was like, no. I built an opera with them in Sarasota 25 years ago. I just happen to know where they are. Take them a bottle of rum for me.
1: Smallest (laughs) industry, I think, in the entire world. Ours.
0: And and functionally, everything in this industry is, oh, I guess somebody has to do that. Um, Yes. And somebody else saying, oh, I guess I could be the person who does that. Um. And and we get very precious about what school, what mentor, what training program, where you learned that um, I am ardently going to tell everybody that there is no one way, there is no one person, there is no kingmaker. There are some things that make it easier. And that's all they do. Um, but sometimes they make it harder because then there is an expectation. Um, one of the greatest pieces of advice I got was I... I didn't think I was going to finish my BA, let alone go on to grad school. That was not a thing in my world. Um, And when I decided that I should finish my, uh, go back to school and finish my undergrad degree, um, I happened to be working at a regional company that was nearby another state university um, who had a fantastic program. And when they looked at my stage manager, I had a binder of my term papers and syllabi. Like, at some point, I'm gonna want to transfer these things. So I had it; it was there. I didn't have to think about it. Now it'll be all digital, right? It'll be a, a basically a zip file of like, here's all my stuff. Um, but because they could review what I'd done, they looked at it and they said, "Oh, do you know that you're one class away from finishing a BA and being a master's candidate in our system?" And I said, "Well, no." And all of that conversation had started because. I was arguing that their BA student, they had never had a BA student main stage stage manage before. And I was like, of course Mm -hmm. you can. What do you think I was doing? How do you think I got trained to be here? There's nothing that, that a set of letters magically makes you. It is people believing in you and having somebody to ask and having a place to practice before you are moving a room of 200 people. Yes. Do it. Right. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, of course you can. Uh, and they said, Well, would you teach it? And I said, Um, maybe, but I don't have a degree. Like, nobody wants to learn from the person who doesn't have a degree. Like, I would be pissed if I showed up and my instructor <laughs> didn't have the, the the certification that I'm supposedly there for. And they were like, Oh, well, you know, you seem knowledgeable. Did you take this class? And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I got three years in and I had a you know a number of credits from this other thing, and here. Uh <laughs> and they went, Oh. do you want to be a master's candidate? And I was like, well, sure. So my transfer was approved. I was supposed to be starting the next fall semester as a master's candidate, like, because the class that I needed to finish the BA was also required for the master's candidates. Mm, I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't the worst way I like it. I was in Milwaukee. It was Milwaukee, uh, UWM, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. I loved my time there. Um, It was a place where I got to believe in people again after two years of freelancing and junking around. And the hard part of in these roles, there's only one or two other people like us that we're talking to. There's not a whole department. All of a sudden, there were twelve people to talk to because I was at a regional company. Um, and I thought, okay, well, sure. I could I could live here. The beer's cheap. (laughs) (laughs) in my early twenties. Like we, it it seemed nice. I liked the people, Uh, and they believed in me. And when the when the funding was cut, they said we're gonna help you find your way to another program. And I was like, "Ah, I never planned it, anyways. They're like, No, we are setting up a phone call for you (laughs) with these people at these other schools. And I was actually determined to go to somewhere else entirely. It was somebody else saying, Talk to somebody at you. Talk to these people. Um, Mm. But fundamentally, when I was in the applications process for a second, like for a second time, not having done the first time, which was also weird. um, I had a mentor, uh, Ella Marie Kazel, who runs the Stage Managers Association, um, sat me down and she said, look, grad school, no grad school, you're going to be fine. But don't lose you to do it. Yes. find out who you are in that. Um, and that's the same with all of these processes. Like you don't have to be the one master project scheduler. You can be the scheduler for the fabrication job and you're you, frankly, you're going to have better health care and a better life balance because you're going to stay uh-huh. in one place. You're not going to be sent out on all of these. That may not work for you. You may want to be like me and live out of a suitcase that may work for you. Um, but all of these things have pieces. And now that we're in the Great Convergence, all of those skills, it might take you some crazy wording and make friends with recruiters on LinkedIn. Like it's the only use for LinkedIn, I think, is, talk- <laughs> is, is learning how to create a relationship with a recruiter who you can say like, okay, I need to explain this transferable skill. Mm-hmm, all of your skills yes. transfer... Every major company has an experiential marketing team now. They all have internal conferences and events teams now. Mm -hmm. Uh, There there is an entire team at Apple that I I have talked with and um, interviewed, you know, all these things. When they post, they only post to marketing hiring because that's the world they came into. It's the Mm -hmm. team that runs the Worldwide Developers Conference event. That's a conference team. Yes. Right, Like it's a big shiny show. It's also an opening ceremonies team. It's also all of these things. It's also a theatrical team. It's also an events team. It's also a catering team. Um, so the things, you know, already apply to, I think it's very easy for us to paint ourselves in a corner and say, I don't know any mm-hmm. of this. I can only work in this part of the industry. And the thing is, I don't think there is an industry anymore. Um, I think with what people are reaching for, for connection, mm-hmm. um, all of our skills apply.
1: And it's okay Absolutely. to say,
0: I want to focus on doing this and then I'm going to find the five people who do.
1: It is really incredible how well the skills that come from theater, from stage management, from any kind of theatrical management can be applied to really any corner of this non-industry that has become so large that you're right. It's almost like there is no quote-unquote industry. It's just a lot of people like us doing very similar things in different packages, um, which, is, which is really, really fun. Uh, now, Nicola, uh, in just our last few minutes, I have um, two questions for you. They're uh, questions that we like to ask all of our guests. The first one... Is what is your favorite part about your job or the industry? And the second one is if you could change one thing about your job or your industry, what would it be? <laughs> um,
0: so I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with I am a tactician first and a strategist second. Um <laughs> and and that's okay, right? Like there are times when I, when I work in high level strategy and I have to back myself off of that. So I'm going to actually answer that in reverse. Um, if I could change one thing about my job within my industry, uh, it would be that I'm going to use an allegory and then I'm going to deconstruct that, right? The allegory is it's not just enough to make the flying leap and grab the trapeze if I dislocate my shoulder. I would, if I could, because that is the ethos we are always working with right now. We just got to make it. We just got to get it through. Um, and I think that's what's keeping people from being able to enter. I think that's mm. what's people keeping people from, like, this is where we are compounding and living our biases and keeping out marginalized, historically marginalized and underrepresented groups when there is not a single reason. Right. It is functionally, we are asking people, can you afford to dislocate your shoulder for taking a giant bolt gas? That's hard. That's huge. Um, yeah. So when I bring up the quantification of you uh, know, one of my, right now in this era, one of the first questions I ask of any company whose umbrella I might be going under is, what funding are you setting aside outside of the project budget for team training and development and all of that, because we're very good at the mouthpiece of work-life balance, of caring about people, what that is. But when you put it under the project budget, you are now putting it at odds with what you are putting out in front of your guests, your audience, um, and for because so many of us come from this, your artistic goal and intent. Yes, you are setting that opposite. So if I could change one thing, it would that be the priority of people thriving, not surviving Mm. the process. That's what I want. That's all I want. Um, And that when, when when we change that simple answer, we want thriving, not surviving. That's when we start being able to meet people where they're at. That's when we start looking at ageism, at our deeply inherent ableism, deeply inherent biases, deep classism, deep racism, all of these things, you know, they're... I was explaining parts of our process to somebody and it was like, no, there are days when my job feels like entertainment colonialism. Hmm. And the way to disconstruct, to deconstruct that is what if the humans felt things and thrived while they did it? That's the way, that's the way through, right? Because then it would feel icky and we would say, no, I will not do that. I will do better.
1: I will change. That's the fundamental thing. And at the end of the day, that's, better project as well. Like you you invest in the team, you invest in the project. If you have people who are thriving, people who are passionate, people who are happy to be on the team that they're on because they're valued and because they're trusted and because they have all of the work and the life things that they need, you're also going to get a better project. It's really it's within everyone's interests to be people first, as you've described. Um,
0: and, and I do, I do, I will teach a class uh, that is nothing. uh, We did this at State last year. It was just straight up. All right. You want to say it's too hard. Here are the tactics. Mm
1: -hmm. The ball
0: is in our courts. We have to continuously argue for things and push back. Um, but it is tactical and it can be as small as making each thing of, are we representing our guests, our future guests in the room of creation? Mm-hmm. is the global majority of the people who might possibly walk in the door walk in the gate of this thing represented in this room that's mm-hmm. a first easy question that every team should be asking themselves and if not why yes um so it's it's thriving not surviving that's the one thing i would change and it should change everything because if you are if people are thriving they're thriving as humans um what I love about my job and what stops me from all using my skills and all of the tangents that I could, right? Like I could go be a program manager for hospitals tomorrow and it would be all remote and it would be really easy. Yeah. Um, like like I would actually probably be bored and that doesn't work for my brain. I, I tend to want to fix things. So I break them to fix them. And that's a thing I've recognized. I don't do that anymore. Um, but the thing that keeps me coming back is that I get to, no matter what We can make a lot of value judgments about the people around us and where they are, and I hear it all the time. I get to imagine what every person who I come into contact, whether it's a sales point or a governmental official, or a vendor, or whomever, I get to imagine who that person is on their most delighted day with their family surrounding them enjoying my thing. Yes. And that is essential to my work. Um, and there is no, as as uh, it's why I fight so fervently for thriving, not surviving, is there is no better way to be interacting with and dealing with humanity than I, I will never be anything but gaijin in Tokyo. That's okay. Let's say I am going to be that here. And yet there was a reason that you called me to be here. Mm. And yet there is a thing that I can do that can bring you something that you had only imagined. Right? We have wish fulfillment. And then I also get to have days where I, um, when we were doing tests for Star Cruiser, I finally felt it again, which was hope. Mm. Um, I am a person who can be driven by possibility. For years on end, and I had lost that for a period of time. That was part of why I was doing experiential marketing. It was easy. Um, nobody has an emergency building in interactive beauty counters, but I le- <laughs> I was getting to talk to people and see cool things. So, like, okay, fine. It, it was it was meeting me where I was at then. On Star Cruiser, I got to see forty year olds be eight year olds again. Every you could not be cynical. Surrounded by that much play. And connection and interaction and that's what immersive theater gives us and that's what experiential gives us and that's why we have that that's why we reach to these tools um it's not that's just beautiful. that i'm always working with a microcosm it's that i not only see but get to imagine every human on their best day at all times and that's a great way to find hope in a world no matter how bad the day is And if I then say, and I want that person to thrive, I now have an action point. Yes. Um, And that's what drives me forward. And if anybody wants to hang out on a Zoom or something and talk about that, (laughs) I know, I know, who am I I, I, with scheduling parameters and needs, um, but I somebody said to me decades ago, I was in the middle of doing something and they said, you have a light in your eye. And if that ever goes out, you call me, I'll make you laugh until it comes back. Oh! And there have <laughs> been times in my life when it's gone out. That's what brings it back.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Nicola. Thank you. Thanks for sharing Absolutely. that. It's been so wonderful having you on the show. Thank you for everything that you've taught us today. Uh, much appreciated. It was great to have you. Thank you.